Blog Talk Radio. date, but it's happening. 
it's definitely happening. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a there's a handful of uh, things that we'll get into as far as current fight news that goes beyond that type of stuff. Um, we'll have a little bit of the boxing Twitter segment, of course, where we read uh, the tweets of the week. I know there's a handful of them um, that I screenshot. A couple sent them to me uh, for you know just tweets about you know Chocolatito. I mean, this dude is uh, <laughs> he's really something. Let's put it that way. This guy's a stud in so many ways. Uh, and then, you know, of course, a couple of fanboy tweets as well. And then, you know, I'm not sure if we have a – I'll have to check. Not sure if we have a, a media members behaving as fanboys, right? It's one thing to be a fan in your fanboy, but when you're a media member in your fanboy, and you don't admit it, you just don't admit it, you know, with a certain fighter – you you got to be scolded. Okay, I'm not going to scold anybody, but you know, we got to poke fun. Um, so, yeah, we'll definitely get into some of this stuff if this is your first time listening. Um, oh, it, did, I, did I say Mungia? Jaime Mungia has an offer to fight Jamal Charlo. We'll talk a little bit about that. But if this is your first time listening to the Robodope Radio Podcast, welcome. It streams, uh, streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash rope radio. You don't have to go to Blog Talk and rope it open. Download the show there or listen to the browser if you don't want to. You can find the platform rope radio on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Player FM, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spricker, Amazon Music, almost across the board. We're also part of the Growing True Sports Podcast Network. One more thing. If you're thinking about cutting the cord or you're happy, not quite happy, i got something. It's called Direct TV Stream. The prices start as low as $69.99 a month. It's the best of live TV and on demand. No annual contracts, no hidden fees. If you upgraded the choice or ultimate package, that gives you three free months of HBO Max. Plus, you get to enjoy regional sports networks with no additional fees. Boxing fans, take a listen to this. If you go to the Premier Package, that gives you HBO Max and Showtime already included on this platform. Direct TV Stream Showtime is eleven dollars. All right, that's Direct TV Stream. So, like, oops, like I said, I almost dropped something. Well, I kind of did, but not fully, if you know what I mean. Um, like I said, it, it's it's a bit of a light weekend to an extent, anyway. Clearly, that Lee Wood and Michael Conlon on paper is a good fight. I mean, it, it's it's competitive on paper, that's for sure. Looking at like, yeah, I mean it's close. It's basically a fifty-fifty. I think the highest that I can see odds-wise for Wood is plus one forty. Otherwise, one thirty, one thirty-five. Um, so that kind of tells you exactly what kind of fight we're. Well, I shouldn't say exactly, but you know the potential here that we got uh, to have a competitive fight. You know what I mean? To have a, a good competitive fight. All right, so coming off the weekend, Roman Gonzalez, man, Chocolatito taking on Martinez, and uh, this dude is just, he just keeps doing it. Now, you know, we could say, oh, well, his opponent was coming up in weight. Um, Martinez, prior to this fight, was definitely getting it done. He was an all-action fighter, but there just weren't, there weren't many rounds that you could really give to him, if we're being honest. I mean, 
there really wasn't that many rounds that you could give to him. Uh, I mean, I just, I think, uh, I think that's pretty obvious. You know what I mean? Um, now, you know, uh, the second round, the first round was close. I'll say that. There were some close rounds. Let's, let's not act like there wasn't some close rounds, but there wasn't many. Um, lots of two-way stuff in that second round. Uh, Martinez definitely started strong. Did he, you know, do enough to win that round? I, I gave him that round. Um, and he kind of got into a theme of doing good in the first minute, minute and a half, and then kind of falling short. That's kind of what he did in the third round early on. Those left hooks and short uppercuts by Gonzalez were really landed big. The fourth round, some looping in straight right hands uh, coming from Julio Martinez and some body work. Um, good combinations uh, mid-round as well. But you could also say the jab and, and, and the way he closed with more uppercuts and hooks from Gonzalez that he took over that round. The fifth round was close, though. Um I thought so anyway. Martinez, you could kind of see him switching up. He was kind of going in and out a little bit more. He did land a few combinations. I'd probably say the power punches were were in favor of Gonzalez that round, though. Then I'm looking at my scorecard, and, yeah, it was really tough, you know. It was really tough to, to give him any more rounds, really. Um, he definitely buzzed, Gonzalez buzzed Martinez in the sixth round. Uh, and, and a big thing is, when they were exchanging, he was winning those exchanges, most of them, with Gonzalez. And a lot of times it was a left hook. And, and you know, he, he definitely worked the body pretty well um, and, as well. And pretty dominant, man. Especially, like, rounds 8 through 12. Really, really dominant by Gonzalez. 118, 110, 116, 112, and 117. 111, um, yeah, I mean, it's this guy is just something else, man. He really is. Um, so the copy of box, so body shots were in favor of Gonzalez, 73 to 21. So he definitely had a big, big, you know, favor there. But overall punches, 374 to 182. Now, you know, Martinez was game. He threw 713. But once again, Gonzalez over a thousand, a thousand seventy-six. Those are total punches: three seventy-four, thousand seventy-six thrown, thirty-five percent clip, dude. That's just crazy, man. That is just crazy. And um, he handled them. He definitely handled them. Now, what, you know, where does he go from here? That's a pretty darn good question. You know what I mean? I think that's uh, it's definitely an interesting question. You know, um, I guess the Estrada fight, once Estrada, I think Estrada has to, uh, who the hell was it that he has to fight? Why am I, oh, is it Franco? Is it Joshua Franco? I think it is. But after that, could he fight him? A lot of people are calling for Bam Rodriguez, you know? So there's plenty of fights for him. Obviously, I don't think he has, you know, years left, right? Um, but any of those, I mean, what an opportunity for Bam Rodriguez that would be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 
I'm good with those two options. And maybe, who knows, maybe Franco upsets Estrada. I doubt it, but you never know. Uh, but either way, this guy, you know, at this age, um, and we're used to fighters fighting well into their 30s. And even at small weights, it does seem like that's changing. You just ask uh, Nonito Donaire. Of course, he went down back in weight where he is a lot more comfortable. Uh, um, but the punch variation, like I said, those hooks, the jab, the body work, the patience. Um, he has this subtle movement. He has better defense than you think. He's just an all-around fighter, and he's just, for this second reign, this second, you know, however you thought, you know, I didn't think that he got completely robbed against Estrada, but like I said before, I do like Estrada a whole lot. I like him, you know, pretty close. You know, he's one of my favorite fighters of this last generation, but Gonzalez falls under that as well. I just didn't see a full-on robbery. I thought it was a little closer than people thought, but that's just my opinion. Um, if they would have gave Gonzalez the nod, I wouldn't have been like, oh, dude, Estrada got screwed. You know, I wouldn't have said that at all. Um, but it, it is pretty heavy. I'm in the minority, and I and I realize that. But um, And that's kind of why I want a trilogy. You know what I mean? Because we can't sit there and say, oh, you know, Gonzalez has passed it, you know? Now, he's, you could say he's passed his prime, but, uh, you know, I think you'd have to say that about Estrada as well. Uh, he's got hit the last few years way more than he used to. So great performance. Uh, you know, go right back to the drawing board if you're Martinez. He did take a lot of punishment. Like I said, I don't know if his team needed to keep him there those last two rounds. But, hey, he made it. Hopefully he's going to be okay, generally speaking. Uh, you know, he's young enough. He should be okay. Dude showed a lot of heart, man. He had his hands down a lot, though. By the end of the fight, like I said, he was on the move a little way more than you assume. But he kept fighting, man. Got to give respect there. Um, that Mauricio Lara and uh, Sanchez fight, that shit was wild. That shit was wild. Uh, first round, uh, right hand landed hard. Knocked Lara knocked him down during an exchange. Um, Sanchez, though, <laughs> started landing back really nicely. He landed a late uppercut, a couple of really flush combinations. Um, so it was like, okay, wow. Um, second round, uh, hard combos uh, from more, more, I should say, hard combos. I think like in the last little bit, maybe, I don't know, 80, 70 seconds left, there was uh, a nice uh, left hand and, and a, a late right hand too if I remember correctly, with Lara. Yeah, it was a right hand. I'm, I'm looking at my notes now. Um, in the third round, though, Sanchez was, you know, I mean, he had him hurt. He had him hurt with a fast and hard flush combination. Had him hurt, no doubt about it. Um, but the next thing you know, <laughs> Sanchez started getting hit with just clean shots. And then it was a right hand and I think a left and another right hand. I'm talking right at the bell. And it, it just kind of blew my mind how quickly that fight ended. Not that the ref made a bad decision and, and Sanchez got completely screwed or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, how quickly. It was just like, oh, oh, 
oh, he's flattened. He's done. He's done. He's out. Now, could he have gotten up? I don't know. He didn't make a big fuss about it. But in, if I remember correctly, the ref kind of was, I don't know. He didn't fall, but he was right there, like, on top of it, like, it's over. So, um, like I said, I didn't hear a big complaint coming from the Sanchez side. So, Mauricio Lara, you know, I don't, this dude, his style isn't necessarily, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't scream longevity, but this dude, excuse me, this dude, um, wow, this dude's just a, a, a Tasmanian devil. I mean, he's coming to fight. He's coming to knock you off. And he's going to, I'm not going to say swing wildly all the time, but, dude, I mean, <laughs> he's an L action guy, man, Mauricio Lara. He, uh, he, you know, two two rounds, you wish it would have gone, or three rounds, I should say. You wish it would have, you know, went like six or seven, so we could have got more of that. That could have been the fight of the year so far if it went a little bit longer. But, you know, it, hey, it's up there right now because that shit was fun, no doubt about it. Now, I'm going to go, I mean, there were so many other fights, um, but I'm not going to go way detail into every single solitary fight. Um, trying to cut back on that in general, because there are sometimes I get maybe too deep into a card, and I may lose some people, or I do lose some people off of it, uh, and just judging by some messages as well sometimes. So, if, if you know, if you want me to detail a certain fight, you can message me right now if you'd like. But um, overall, um, Ramirez Pedraza, we could talk a little bit about that. And I actually, um, the switchboard, if you want to call in 646-381-4990, I did see some folks come in. I see John coming in. I'm, I'm going to get to him in just a second. Um, but that Ramirez Pedraza fight, um, you know, it was pretty mild let's say there was a handful of just slow rounds um the fifth stand out like that the the the, uh, the tenth a couple of them you know it did take a little little while to get going Ramirez for me won um probably um probably won about nine rounds eight rounds something like that I gave him the first two he landed a nice counter right pretty early, but his jab and, you know, body work and whatnot, that left hand of the body that he always likes to do. But you could see pretty early on that Pedraza was moving more uh, than he normally does. Now, when I say moving, like, on his bike, moving more. Um, and it's slowly, you know, it was maybe a tricycle that turned into a 10-speed. I don't think it ever got to, like, a, a moped. Uh, you know, on your bike, but he was, for good reason, I mean, you know, but he wasn't doing his little dart in and out, and he wasn't countering as well, but I'll say this, the third and fourth round, I definitely gave him the third, the fourth, and technically, even though it was such a slow round, the fifth round, it was still close. Um, I did see Pedraza doing more of his pivoting, and that's what I mean by, like, the subtle movement, where you're landing a few nice left hands, and and you're you're in the fight, and you're trying to win the fight. Um, and 
much like I talked about last week, Ramirez was missing a lot of his power shots. I figured about four to six rounds, it would it would be a lot of missing his power shots. Now he still was landing his jab pretty well, uh, and even in like the fourth round, which was really close. Early on, missing a lot of shots, he did land like two really nice right hands. Was that enough to steal the round? Because Pedraza was just jabbing and moving, you know. So that that one was kind of up in the air. Like I said, the fifth as well. Um, sixth and seventh, I gave to Ramirez. He started actually finally landing his uppercut to go along with the jab and the body work. Um, both of them landed their jab, at, you know, at times throughout this fight pretty well. Um, I did give Pedraza in a competitive round the eighth. I thought um, a late left hook and just left hands along with the jab was good enough for me in that one. Ninth round, Ramirez, because he was busier. Ramirez in the tenth, but it was another slow round, like I mentioned earlier. You know, Pedraza landed a flush uppercut in an exchange um, in the eleventh. So maybe, you know, that's another round you could do. But 12th round, busier, still missing a lot, but landed to the body. Overall, I definitely had it about 8-4, to four, like I said, maybe 9-3. to three. There were some swing rounds in there. Um, but 133 to 110 as far as, you know, landing punches. The jab in the body work favored Ramirez, um, but barely on the jab, obviously. But 42 to 18 on the on the body work, and that was kind of... All in all, it's nice to get a W, you know, but it wasn't... And I wouldn't say it was all Ramirez's fault by any chance, you know, stretch of the imagination. Because, um, like I said, Pedraza wasn't really standing his ground. Because at times he stands his ground. Or he pivots and does, like, subtle lateral movement where he's landing a nice jab. Uh, maybe a power shot and then move it, but but hanging around to where he can counter back. A lot of times he counters well, and he just wasn't able to do a lot of that. But still, I mean, you know, I thought it'd be, I thought he'd, I don't know, I thought it'd probably be about uh, 9 to 3, 10 to 2. So he probably did a little bit better than that. But I also thought that he it'd be like 3 3 after 6, and he would have landed some really pretty good punches, you know what I mean? Whereas that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, like I said, Ramirez does, I mean, the post-all fight, plenty of times he uh, missed his power punches. He gets a little wide with the shots, but he usually comes back and tightens back up with the jab and the body work. But uh, overall, coming off your first loss, um, you had fought in about, that was last May, wasn't it? I think it was later May, if I remember correctly. For sure, May is lost uh, to Josh Taylor in that undisputed. So, you know, um, it is what it is. Like, I thought he did good enough, you know. Um, and let's be honest, like, he's had a, a fair amount of competitive fights for Ramirez, much like Josh Taylor, actually. And um, he doesn't always look great, but he gets the job done generally speaking. I would, uh, you know, I, I wonder now with Josh Taylor, from the sounds of it, he's going up, which isn't really shocking, uh, up to welterweight. So these belts are going to come loose. And had this fight been a couple months from now, it probably would have been for a title, a vacant title. So, um, 
There's plenty of 140 fights there for him. Um, and, you know, Pedraza, he kind of goes probably back into what he's been doing these last couple of years. I know he did win a belt at 135, uh, was it, Beltron, right? Um, you know, some people will count that as a, a, a you know, a big, uh, well, you want a title, so it's big. You know, Beltron's not, you know, he wasn't, like, completely faded. I mean, he deserved that win and whatnot. Um, so, you know, Pedraza did say that he wants to try to win another belt, so it would be three divisions, and I get that, you know. Um, but, and I think he will. I think he will get another title shot at some point just because if all four belts are going to come loose, well, you know, he's going to get somewhere in there. I don't know if he'll be next, but, yeah, I could see him getting the dub maybe, uh, let's see, do, 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 late summer, something like that, maybe early fall. I don't know, maybe sometime in the summer he'll fight again and then, and then maybe get a title shot. I don't know. We'll see. It'll be really interesting to see how long, like how long this process takes for, you know, if Josh says he's going up, how quickly will these belts, you know, disperse? I mean, we know there's a lot of backroom chatter and, uh, you know, tampering, so to speak. You know how, like, the free agency for NFL is coming up? I think Sunday is, like, the legal tampering, they call it the legal tampering time, so they're probably tampering right now, let's be honest, but um, there's got to be a lot of tampering going on behind the scenes at 140 with trying to line up. Some new rankings will come out, and you know, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bring in John. I know it's uh, getting kind of late. The show started a little late, so I'm going to go ahead and bring in um, John and get his take on uh, some of these fights. I'll get into, uh, like, Gabe Flores Jr. Uh, you know, he got a, a majority decision over Montoya. He definitely had to work for that. Uh, some other fights that we'll talk about as well. But let's go ahead and bring in John into the fold. What's going on, John? How are you doing tonight? Hey, Chris. Uh, great to be here tonight. And enjoyed listening to you uh, just kind of give the preface to everything uh, that happened last week. So let's start with uh, Chocolatito because, you know, why not? Roman Gonzalez, um, especially at this weight class, like I said before, we're, we're used to seeing uh, fighters well into their 30s now. You know, however it's happening, sports science, uh, my, you know, rest. There's a lot of rest going on. There's a different way to train that has allowed – fighters to last longer and obviously they're fighting less per year as we know um, but still at the lighter weight classes are we going to start to see a trend towards guys you know 33 35 able to still do their thing at these lightweight classes something that you rarely saw before probably but either way it's damn impressive um, what do you think of Roman Gonzalez's performance because don't get me wrong. Martinez was game in many ways, but uh, it was a dominant performance. I didn't expect him to win that many rounds in that fight. Yeah, I'm with the majority in that no question Chocolatito had a great performance. 
um, performed better, you know, than, than I thought he would, but, but really kind of performed along the lines of, of how he has performed recently in this comeback or second surge in his career, however you want it, because he never really went away, just picked up those losses to Sora Rungvisai, and I think people are almost forgetting. I, I did think he won that first fight with Sora Rungvisai, even though he was dropping that fight. Uh, yeah, obviously, you know, got knocked cold in the second fight, but, you know, when, when Gonzalez says that, you know, fighters have to have confidence in themselves, but when he's saying that's the only fight he really feels like he's been beaten, he's not doing too much of a stretch. I, I did think he lost to Estrada in a real tight one. Um, I heard you go into that. Like you said, a lot of people were screaming, feeling that, you know, Gonzalez won, but I, I thought Estrada did edge it out, but it was very close. And, and I like the way you termed it was one of those types of fights where uh, I wouldn't have argued if Gonzalez got the decision, but I did think Estrada edged it. But getting into last Saturday night, I uh, thought Gonzalez looked great, looked pretty much like his old self. Um, you know, maybe a hair less with the pop, but nothing nothing dramatic. Looked, you know, pushes his punches a hair more than he used to, but he, lo- he looked good. I, I mean, even just to my eye, of course, uh, he wasn't getting quite as much resistance, but uh, I thought his you know, punch variety uh, looked better than it did against Estrada. Of course, you know, not fa- facing quite as good of a fighter, but like you said, I agreed. You know, defense was solid, so he was doing a lot of good things in there. Performance, I'm with everybody else on that. Clearly won the fight, uh, but I think one thing we've got to get back to that I haven't seen enough, frankly, post fight, and I did want to get into it on the show because it is a good chance to discuss it. And you know, I was tweeting about it pre-fight, so it's not hindsight for me and. For me, in terms of what I thought, you know, I thought Martinez, hey, I'm going to say, I thought he had a pretty good chance of an upset when the fight got signed. But, you know, he was on short notice. And, uh, you know, I, but I was looking at, you know, his youth and, and his pop, the, the guy being a good puncher for the weight. To me, he'd move from flyweight up to 115, three pounds, really meaningless. You know, Chocolatito was a fighter who, you know, started his career at 100. So I didn't think that that was a big deal, but was short notice. But I did say, you know, and you've heard me say on the show a lot, Chris, this is not new. You know, when we're not talking, you know, we've got to take a look at the weights. I mean, even a heavyweight, you got to see, you know, what kind of condition the guy's in because it's going to tell you there. And in the lighter weights, if somebody really struggles making the weight, you know, it's a red flag. And of course, what did we have with Martinez? He was on short notice came in way overweight, could not make the contract at 115. He was at 116 and a half. So I was thinking, you know, pre-fight, was this a guy who was, you know, maybe strategic, not really trying to make the weight and was going to try to be stronger? Or was, you know, he just not able to get into real good shape on the short notice? And, you know, I don't think it's it's excuse-making after the fact. I mean, he was on short notice. He missed the weight badly. Uh, you heard the translator in the corner of Martinez saying around the sixth round uh, he was tired. You know, that Martinez himself was saying that in his corner, I'm tired, my hands hurt. Uh, so, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Chocolatito performing well at age 34, which, like you said, is, you know, something we're starting to see at the lower weights that we never saw in the past. 
But I don't think there's been enough talk post-fight that, let's look, you've still got to stay in reality. I mean, Mark, there's, there's all indications on the short notice how badly he missed the weight and how even though he was in with a better fighter, let's face it, Martinez did not look as good as he normally does. You know, he gets hit, sure. but he punches with a lot of authority for the weight. And, you know, he was he was throwing, you know, not throwing that much for, for that weight. And, and when he was throwing, he didn't have the same authority. And he was complaining about being gassed early on in the fight. Now, of course, Gonzalez puts pressure on you, throws an extremely high amount of punches, even for that weight. But still, again, you know, Martinez is used to fighting at those lower weights where guys do throw more punches. And, you know, he just, just, he, and he was on short notice. That's just a fact. I mean, we know this was not the originally scheduled fight. It was supposed to be yeah. Estrada. You know, you know uh, Martinez certainly wasn't scheduled to fight anybody on Gonzalez's level and wasn't, you know, you know so it, it was short notice. He missed, he missed the weight by a lot. He, he gassed out early, and, and like you said earlier, you know, he, he hung on to go the distance, which was to his credit, but as we saw, he was really hanging on there. So I think on this one, we got to say, you know, great performance by Gonzalez, but the breaks just uh, a touch that as much as we all like Chocolatito, you know, there, there's evidence here that Martinez, a lot of evidence that Martinez really wasn't in the greatest shape. And when we look at what Gonzalez has coming up in his next fight, whether it ends up being against Estrada or somebody else, you know, when we're we're handicapped and evaluating that fight, I think we we have to take a look at that. That uh, this might not have been the best Martinez available. Now, would from what we saw Saturday night, did it look like Gonzalez was a superior fighter anyway? Sure, there was a lot of that indication, but you know, we've seen fights results in fights reversed. Uh, at all different levels. So what I'm just saying is you can't, you can't say for sure. In other words, if Martinez was in better shape, uh, would it have looked a little differently? It might have. And one thing that took a little longer to happen than I thought, but it did happen right before the fight, when Martinez did miss weight badly, I expected the money to start going to Gonzalez. And it, it didn't immediately after the weigh-in, but then eventually the odds did shift a little bit more in Gonzalez's favor after what happened at the weigh-in. So in other words, you can kind of take it real, not really kind of, it just is kind of the way it works, even though if the, even though the general consensus isn't right every time, it's, it's right more often than any one person. So, you know, the, the general consensus was that after that weigh-in, Gonzalez did gain a little bit of an advantage from what we saw of Martinez. So uh, great performance by Gonzalez, but let's keep uh, the circumstances in mind and just touch on briefly and wrapping up on that one. I agree with you. You know, we do seem to be in an era where the fighters are lasting a little bit longer, especially at the lower weights where they had a shorter shelf life. And we do have to start taking that into account. I think it's probably is the sports science and nutrition fighting less, you know, sparring less, taking a little less punishment. Um, but I do want to throw one thing in there because I have been thinking about this issue. If you look at neurological studies, though, you know, we talk about wanting the sport to be safer. And, you know, obviously fighting less, taking less punishment is going to help there. But neuro- neurological studies on these types of issues, when you talk about head punishment, like in boxing, 
and and people aren't talking about it as much lately because this is happening and it is the polar opposite of it. But, you know, if fighters started their careers earlier and they were done by 30, uh, there has been studies, you know, you can go back 30 years on that, you know, on the brain and and even getting more extensive that your brain is going to hold up better. You're going to be better off. You're going to have less long-term consequences down the road. So I'm not sure. And this goes to all divisions though, then I'm not sure this is really a good trend uh, in terms of safety, the sport where we want to be going. Um, You know, I, I mean, that, that would be a hard thing to change. But still, it's, it's worth thinking about things. I mean, if you kind of had an ideal what it would be, because you don't want head, head punishment when kids are too young either, it, it would probably be this more compacted type thing where, you know, may, maybe people, you know, you know, started their – and you can't really, control, you know, police it at this point, but – you know, if amateur careers with with kids started when they were like fourteen or fifteen, were 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 pretty intense. Uh, you know, you you but but it was like this more in the old days when they didn't have as much knowledge. But in terms of the ages, then like you know you 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 were fighting for the Olympics. You know, when when you were in your late teens, things like that, top amateur, turning pro. You know, maybe having your pro career from the time you're you know twenty years old to thirty years old, and then you're out. I mean, that would that would probably be the safest. So I don't want to get, get too far away, but since that came up with Gonzalez, that's something I've been thinking about and is worth mentioning that I do think it's because of advances and, and fighting less that we are going to have fighters lasting longer. But really in the neurology, for, for little, things being a little bit safer neurology-wise, neurology it would probably yeah. be better the, even now that if fighters just turn pro younger and uh, they were out by when they were 30. So this pro a little later and fighting longer is probably not, not the best thing for fighter safety over the long haul. It's a good point. And even if you do turn pro at 19 or 20 or 21, instead of sometimes we see these guys are already 23 and 24, sometimes even older, of course, but yeah, you're right. Because it's like, well, you know, yeah. In especially not in this country, you know, um, right? Like in Europe and you know other other places. Obviously, they do come you know old, over here a little older, at least start their pro career. But you're right. On one hand, it elongates you know your your finances too, right? You can make more money for longer. Uh, but that's a good right. point, and not just in the fight, but the sparring and all that. Year after year after year, adding years to it. You know, I never really shaped it like that um, instead of just kind of that, oh, look, they fight less, so they're taking less punishment. Well, that's true. But then again, you know, that that's that's kind of interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, there, there's got to be something to that. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Hmm. Yeah, and you probably wouldn't want to yeah, start right. too you're, early. You're, you're extend, you know. Yeah, you extend, you extend your, right, and you make a good point. Exactly. You extend earnings, which is attractive, but. When you right. wrap up, uh, when you wrap up and you're 40 years old, and even though you're you're fighting less, and, you know, frankly, you could even, you can even apply the same thing to certain positions, you know, you know, in the NFL, uh, you know, you, you, yeah, you're extending those earnings, 
you know, going going with right. sports science going a little bit later. But you know, if, if then you're wrapping up at forty, and uh, you know, you, your your brain's gotten punished, you know, for for those ten that years from thirty yeah. to forty when, when it's right that much more when it can't take it, it, it can't take it as well, and, and you just can't rebound as well, and then you don't have much of a you don't have as much of a life when you're forty years old. To enjoy, uh, what, you know, how, what are right. the earnings? Yeah, what do the earnings really mean? You know, yeah, that's kind of interesting. That's that's really interesting, actually. Um, obviously, you know, um, Gonzalez. I don't know how many more fights he has left. I'm not trying to retire him, but you know, realistically, I mean, how many more fights does he actually have? He probably wants to engage in you know, the Estrada fight or the Rungbasai or the, of course, the Bam Rodriguez potentially if the money's right. So he's definitely got a lot of choices there. Um, that that fight, though, um, Mauricio Lara, Lara and Sanchez, that, um, that was just a banger. I wish it would have lasted about double the amount of time. But that was really fun. Obviously, Marco Castro hit the deck, ended up winning a six-rounder. Uh, just in general, whether, it, you know, we can flip between cards or whatever, Yoet Gonzalez won a, a ninth round um, by stoppage. Um, Gabe Flores Jr., uh, you know, didn't look all that great against Montoya. It sounds like he's actually moving up. He won by majority decision. Uh, Richard Torres, the silver medalist. I think it was a second-round stoppage. He made his pro debut, as did Sky Nicholson. She made her pro debut, a second-round knockout for Diego Pachero. I think that's how you say that. There was a, a fight that ended in majority draw, too. Any other, like, undercard fights that you want to talk about or anything that stood out to you beyond we'll get into the Ramirez-Pedraza uh, as well? Yeah, I'll just uh, briefly touch on a couple of things there that stood out um i like laura a lot like everybody else you know seems to now with that power and aggression uh you know he blew away warrington in that first fight and and you had the headbutt incident second fight got stopped i mean i'm not sure you could tell even though you'd want to say that but you know i i, I definitely felt laura would win that rematch by ko uh, it, it's silly with all these belts out there and this alphabet stuff that, you know, Warrington's going to be supposedly, you know, fighting for a world, you know, IBF title against Kiko Martinez, or he, he's already got a decision off of and, and not really settling that thing with Laura. Um, but, you know, Laura looks good. I mean, he, he looks for real. That's kind of the most important thing for him because people are going to want to see him. He's got the power and, and it should should work out for him. Uh, you know, it, it was it was against a, a, an opponent that just wasn't good at all. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's hard to tell the real lot. But I, in that very brief time, I, I didn't like the way Richard Torres looked. I, I like the idea of, you know, of course, an American heavyweight that's got a silver medal, uh, you know, coming off the Olympics. I, I'm excited about that. And, you know, it kind of – it, it kind of also, I mean, you know, he, it's it was a West Coast card, but but he, it's it's coming on so late in the East. You know, we know boxing isn't what it used to be in terms of popularity. You no know, matter what people who want 
want to always try to stay positive. Want to say, I mean, you got to you got to also be in reality. You know that that Torres, you know, like on the East Coast, you know, he, he's fighting this guy that's terrible, and it's it's basically in the middle of the night. You know, <laughs> that's his pro debut, uh, and he gets cut. Uh, but saying like, you know, it, it, at least top rank knows they want to put him in a spot that nowadays is pretty good. But I mean, it's just it, you'd almost like to see it better. I mean, you know, everything's not like it was in the past. But you think of the '84 Olympro in prime time, and you know, of course, how much play the '76 Olympians got. We know things aren't the same, but you know, may, maybe. Maybe something on regular ESPN where more people could see it for a heavyweight silver, you know, super heavyweight silver medalist turning pro. I'd like to see better than that, but he didn't look that good. So, that, so on the in the in the ring part, like we said, getting back right. to in the in, the, in that very brief period. And why I say that is, even though the guy went out, I mean, it was grazing stuff. In other words, Torres just in that really brief period, he wasn't even really accurate. Um, and I look for things like that. So. Uh, of course, not going to get crazy over just a couple of minutes in his pro debut against some overmatched opponent, but uh, there wasn't much to take from it positive uh, for the pro debut, including, you know, really what time that fight ended up running in the East, uh, because you, you're losing people then, you know, it's already on ESPN Plus, and then in the East, it's real late. Uh, so, you know, would have liked to maybe see some better spotlight for Torres. And one other thing, like we're talking about, Chris, and and, and the way things should be. And with this turning pro early stuff, I think this is another, this is another good to me, like teaching moment of what we're trying to bring out about this. So, you know, it's not, it's not that Torres is that old, but I think it was a good example. Like think of how, how much worse the opponent that Torres fought in his pro debut was compared to who he fought in the gold medal fight. Jalalov, who's the guy who had had pro fights too, and you know right. had knocked out Torres once earlier in the amateurs, but then performed better, lost the decision. But the point is, you know, we're used to being sold this for so long, but let's step back and think how little sense it makes. I mean, you saw that guy that was in the ring with Torres. I mean, think of how much worse he is than Jalalov, who Torres just fought for the gold medal. I mean. <laughs> Think of how much worse of an opponent he is. So we're, we're in this old mindset that we've been sold that, like, well, he, he's got to learn. We've got to take time. It really, it's, it's just it's garbage. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's not just with Torres. I mean, it's with, every, it's with everybody, with the whole structure of the sport. In other words, that's what I'm kind of getting at with we're wasting this time with guys in these older ages when they're fighting less. I, I think you have to fight less for safety, but I mean, like, I'm just saying, like, let's get to it. You know, there's no, there was no game for Richard Torres fighting this guy that he fought Saturday night. And I'm not just picking on him. I'm saying this applies to everybody who's a top prospect making their pro debut, you know, but, but in this is just a perfect example. Like look at how much worse the fighter he fought was than his last amateur fight. It's just silly. It doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. What's he learning? You know, what's he learning? He's not learning anything. I mean, it's just, That's it's true. just promoters, promoters just dragging it out with these kind of outdated notions. You know, we got to, we got to build them up and we got to expose them. I mean, really the build up and the exposure should have been in part, like he, he's the silver medalist. And then, you, you know, he was on, 
you know, not getting as much exposure as you used to, of course, of the Olympics, not near it, but still more than a lot of other pro fighters. In other words, let's, let's go from there and, and step it up and, and move it quicker. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't really, we don't need this kind of time wasting stuff. So uh, noted that Flores, you know, Gabe Flores, I wasn't that high in him, not because I, I didn't think he had skills. He was a little boring when he started out. Then he was adding some punching power to it, but, but I was sold on his defense and his skills, and, and that just doesn't seem to be there in the last two fights. I, I'm, I'm finding it head-scratching. You know, a lot of people are speculating about the weight, but, it, you know, he's very young, and, but the way he's looked in the last two fights, it just looks like it's not there, and, and he's very young, so it's strange. But, you know, hey, sometimes in all sports, it's not that common, but every once in a while, you know, it, it could be because of, if injuries you don't know about or other factors, you get somebody who, you know, peaks young. I mean, you know, every once in a while you get like, yeah. you know, Chris, you follow all sports. I mean, you get like a, a college basketball prospect or a college football prospect who's, you know, parade all American in football or something like that, or McDonald's, <laughs> McDonald's all American. Yep. And then they get to the next level. They're terrible. I mean, you know, and sometimes you, you, well, you say you missed, you know, they, they missed on them or they had them over, obviously overvalued, but, but sometimes it's just for, for whatever reason that, that the peak was just, you know, very, very early. And, and that's just it. So it. It doesn't happen that often, but, but you do see it sometimes. So I'm, I, I'm having trouble coming up with an explanation for Gabe Flores because he was looking good. Yeah. And again, you know, a solid veteran, even though he was past his best, I mean, you think what he did to Velez, you know, just before he started, you know, tailing off. I mean, took him off, took him out with one shot, a, you know, right. a, a durable veteran, and, and just, he looked terrible. So, I don't know, I, I don't even know what, you know, I don't know what's going on, but I do agree with the, the majority that seems to be saying, hey, this guy looks terrible his last two fights. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm open to theories on that as well. And, uh, you know, Sky Nicholson, had, you know, of course, she, she, she was an Olympian, uh, had a top amateur career. So she has, seems to have some, uh, some potential and some, some marketability. So we'll look on that. But I think what you opened the show with was a good point that actually ties into what we're talking about. It, it ties into some of the marketability of sport, what's going on. And I'm sensing it a little bit more with fans is that, you know, and we've talked about it some, you know, so many of these fights on these cards and, you know, they do the main card and the pre-card thing. They got that from the UFC and, you know, it's because more right. fights are getting televised than you had in the, in the past, the glory days. And, you know, I've been convinced by some people that have said, Hey, technology's changed. How can you say the fight shouldn't be televised? In other words, right. I got to agree with those people. You know, when I really thought about it and I, like to try to use logic on it. I can't really argue logically why a fight shouldn't be televised now that we have the technology and streaming. So I'm not going to argue that anymore because that's a good point, but yet we need potential casual fans who aren't even there. And just even for the hardcore fans, you need to know what to watch. And, and this, right. And I've said it on the show before this a five, idea six, that like, seven hour stream. <laughs> You know, it, it, yeah. you can turn off it pretty quick. You know. Yeah, we can't do we can't do this anymore. Uh, I think this is a problem. Like, I I'm not going to make the argument that fights shouldn't be televised because that's not really logical. It should be a choice to watch. But 
it's got to be defined, and it's got to be defined better than main card and you know pre card. It's got to be defined better. I mean, it's it. We got to start getting into a window like this particular fight will be shown, you know, between this hour. And I'm talking about the individual fights, and then maybe yeah, you know, if it ends early, you've got walk, you know, you've got filling bouts, standby fights, or or maybe right. you know another thing I'm thinking about that really is logical and, and you know they're not they're, they're going with habits and they're not going with logic the other option is these lesser fights they should be shown after the main event i mean sure. there's no sense keeping east coast viewers up till two o'clock in the morning because just these fights like you described that that a lot of people don't even want to hear about or watch you know you know like you said six seven hour streams you know, and then you've got main events starting at you know finishing at two a.m. in the east. It's it's lunacy. It's lunacy. I mean, you know, put some of the lesser fights on after the main event, or or just make it more. Or even record what, some of them. You know, record some of the yeah, first what, couple, then put them on after. Right. If you don't want to have people hanging around all, you know, let the hardcores figure it out later. You know, right? Yeah, there's got to be. There's got to be better ways, and I and I I'm, I've been convinced that with the technology, yeah, you can't really argue. Well, just yeah. don't tell it's about be a it home. at all. That's not, yeah, not logical, but it's got to be defined. It's, this structure's got to change. Um, it's killing the East Coast viewers in the U.S., um, which is a lot it of is. population. And uh, right. you know, you just, you just you got like super hardcore people tuning out. I mean, I've noticed that. I mean, when you got <laughs> you got and I'm not even like actually knocking them, even though it's like their job. I mean, you you got because you got to have a life too. I mean, you got people who like cover boxing right. that are going to bed. I, I mean, when you got people, uh, when you got people that cover boxing and just like no, in the east, no, nah, I'm I'm just going to bed. Um, right. Something's got to something something's got to change. So uh, yeah, I think that pretty much uh, pretty much my covers uh, my my take on the uh, on the past weekend. Yeah, there's something, right, there's something about, you know, I remember when Showtime would do Showtime Extreme, and they'd put on about two fights, Uh, we do see the Fox, Fox prelim, and there's about two fights on those, Um, maybe it is calling it a full-on prelim, or calling it, hey, just so you know, these are different fights, and, you know, but I do like your time structure, and I've heard multiple people talking about this. We've talked about this as well, whether it's online or other podcasts, is really trying to narrow down a time frame so you maybe can go out to dinner and do stuff that right. your 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 wife wants, your girl or your buddies that you, you haven't seen in a while or whatever, some sort of business thing, whatever it is, you can go do that and then come back and see it, and whether it is filming the first couple. I mean, at least, you know, Gabe and Joette, at least some of these fights were good, though. Like, at least they were competitive. You know, I'll say that. Like, that that majority draw. I mean, some, some are sleepers, right? No doubt. <laughs> Sometimes you're like, well, we have these 10-round fights, but it was all one-sided, so it sucked. So at least some of these fights were very competitive. But that's generally not the case. A lot of times it's just, mismatches, right. showcases. Um, so I do want to give them credit for the matchmakers this week because there was some competitive fights, no doubt about it. Maybe that's not a good sign for the 
the folks that were in these competitive fights, like, you know, why didn't Flores Jr. separate himself more in, in, in whatever? And Joette Gonzalez won by knockout, but that probably should, you know, it was a, a, a quick stoppage or whatever. So, but yeah, there, there, there's got to be something to this because there is something to be said about, and Showtime's really the only one that kind of does it now. Uh, well, when ESPN has a normal card, they do the prelims on ESPN+. Plus. I think that's a pretty nice uh, thing, and then maybe they'll have a double or triple header. But the problem with ESPN double and triple headers, it usually is showcase fights and then a big main event. Right now, the triple header um, that's solid right now is Showtime, you know, really, because they usually do triple header Showtime quote-unquote championship boxing and then they have a show box and that's kind of for that stuff and those can fluctuate to being showcases to being competitive whatever but you're right there's got to be something because you know i don't know i mean i actually forgot that this was well this kind of goes along with what we're talking about that there's probably too much boxing on in general too many cards it was nice that it was Friday, Saturday this weekend, that's for sure. I wanted to mention that as well. But, um, you know, sometimes it's just, I don't know. I did actually forget. I thought this was ESPN this this, this week, this Saturday, I act, or Friday. I thought it was actually ESPN on regular ESPN. I went to go check my guide. I'm like, oh, shit, the whole car is on ESPN Plus now. And I will say this. I give uh, top-ranking ESPN who's ever – it was probably ESPN's uh, decision, but they, I don't know when it kicked in, John, but pretty much all their cards are on ESPN Plus as well now, and that's kind of cool because there are people that don't have cable in general, so that helps them, but I did, I got to admit, I did forget, and here, you know, we're hardcores, and we, I forgot that it was on ESPN Plus and not ESPN, I was like, oh shit, that's right, I totally forgot about that, but yeah, Sometimes even going in back to the stream, you're fast-forwarding and fast-forwarding. Oh, i got to stop. i got to rewind because I went too far because there's so many damn fights. And yeah, there's got to be something to it. It's got we got to find a, you know some sort of in-between. Um, but I think we've probably gone long enough on that topic. What would you think of Jose Ramirez's uh, return to the ring after taking his first um, L as a pro? This one went as I expected, it seems that there's been quite a few surprises lately, but this one went as I expected. I thought Ramirez was a little too physically strong for Pedraza. And to me, that's kind of how it went. But the, the criticism I have of Ramirez is just when he's, when he's faced upper level top fighters, the power just hasn't been there. You know, he's got aggressive style. I agree with you. You know, he's got good punch variety. You know, defense isn't bad either. You know, he does have amateur pedigree. He was an Olympian. So, you know, even though he gets hit, he's not one of these guys, though, that's just wading in, taking all kinds of shots or anything like that. But the flaw with him is is at the upper level, the pop's not there. So, you know, he's always got to go to a decision. And, you know, look, that, that was the problem with him against Taylor because it always it sounds funny saying it, but anybody who saw that fight, you know what? what I'm talking about. I mean, if he didn't get dropped and, and as he said, it's true. I mean, it's protect yourself at all times, but one of them was on the break. I mean, if he doesn't, if he doesn't hit the canvas those two times, you know, he wins that fight, you know, just in terms of the scoring. So, uh, you know, he fought well enough the rest of it, even though he wasn't spectacular against Taylor, 
But, you know, he got dropped, and, and that hasn't been his history, so that's a credit to Taylor. But that made the difference in that fight. I, I think the narrative that Taylor outfought him the whole fight or something like that just wasn't reality as to the way that fight played out. So, you know, Ramirez is good enough and, and too much for Pedraza thought that. But, again, didn't, didn't have a power display against Pedraza. Uh, only got to stop Pedraza, you know, Javante Davis at 130 pounds. But still, Davis was able to do it and, and do it quickly. Uh, you know, Ramirez didn't clearly won the fight, but didn't really put any hurt on him. That's how I thought that went. But, you know, the way the 140 pounds has gone now, you know, Taylor, the, the true champion at that weight. Uh, but, you know, if he leaves, really the one-two guys, still really Ramirez, Progray, one thing worth mentioning since we're talking about 140 and Ramirez is arguably the number one guy uh, in the rankings if Taylor leaves is, you know, then people saying, what about Catterall? Uh, I was tweeting this little before I got on with some people. It's something I've been thinking about too. Look, I did think Catterall edged that fight, showed maybe a little more in terms of hand speed and landing we dropped Taylor, you know, that was a surprise. Catterall hadn't been a puncher. Said, I think the robbery thing was screamed a little bit more than it was. Uh, it was a close yeah. fight. Catterall didn't finish strong. Um, what I'm getting to is, you know, when, when it comes down to people's money, that's really what matters. And I think it's fair to say you know, people want to say, oh, well, Catterall, he's the number one 140-pound guy. He should have gotten the decision against Taylor. You know, I mean, who's Catterall favored against at 140? You know, in theory, it, it, if it were to be his next fight. Is he favored against Josh Taylor in a rematch? I don't think so. Is he favored against Ramirez? No. Is he favored against Progre? No. You know, would he be favored against a guy like Matias? Probably not. I don't think he'd be favored against Gary Antoine Russell. Uh, I don't think he'd be favored against, you know, Chan Zapata. I mean, these aren't stretches at all. I'm not, I'm not trying to overly knock Catterall, but I'm just saying, like, let's get perspective here. You know, this, this guy's, you know, if you thought he beat Taylor, I mean, Taylor was bad that night. Taylor was really bad that night for, for whatever the reason. Yeah. Um, we'll have to see what that was about. Um, but you know, let, let's let's not get carried away. I mean, and I mean, I think that's the reality. You know, when it comes down to where where people would put their money, and the odds makers got to, you know, the odds makers can't be fooled. It's their job not to be fooled. You know, they got to set a right line. So, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Catterall's favored over any of those people. I don't think he's favored over Javante Davis at 140 pounds. Now, these are not fights that are going to happen, but these are people that have all at are at 140 or fought at 140. Uh, recently, so uh, I think it's worth theoretically looking at, and I and I don't think that's a stretch at all. I mean, Catterall was not favored against these people, so uh, you know, keep that in mind. I think the other thing to keep in mind is I didn't get to address it with Taylor, but I think it's it's worth mentioning when when you see a performance like Taylor against Catterall, and and you know even though Josh Taylor is a good fighter, when people are getting so high on him, you know, that's a little bit of that evidence to me of. If you only had the eight traditional weight classes or you had eight plus cruiser weight, you know, Josh Taylor's not a champ. 
you know, under those circumstances. I mean, I, I, I just think that that's where the cream kind of rises when you, when you don't have all these weight classes that to me you don't really need. So, you know, yeah, if there's a 140, you're saying, well, he's undisputed, under, you know, he, he's undisputed and, and, and he's the lineal champion and he's beat Progre and he's beat Ramirez. He's earned it. But, but what if it's the way it traditionally was and all those guys were just that welterweight, you know, we're already seeing people saying, well, this Terrence Crawford would, would destroy this guy. And, you know, he, he, he would get crushed by Errol Spence. And, you know, if there was eight weight classes, would for a long time there was only eight weight classes and eight weight classes that people cared about. I mean, you know, Taylor's a contender then, you know, he, he, even after beating a Ramirez and a, and a pro grade away, dude, he's, he's not at the very top. And, and that kind of might be what you saw, you know? Um, so we'll see. We'll see where he goes from here. He's going to be officially, apparently, most likely fighting at 147 pounds. So we're going to see that. But if he levels off, uh, and somebody, some people made the Danny Garcia comparison, and that probably is a right. pretty good comparison. In other words, you know, Garcia was at 140, but then you know he's up at the traditional weight class, welterweight, and and if there would have only weight classes, there'd only be a welterweight, and then he's a, he's been a contender. You know, he's been a top 10 contender, right. but. He can't. He can't get over the hump. Uh, fighting the a lot top of competitive guys. fights at 140 as well. Good opponents, but very right. competitive. You know. Yeah. So it's not a not a bad comparison there. But that's uh, that's that's how I would finish that up since we're talking about Ramirez, who is really you know at at the top at 140 pounds. Uh, you know he's right up there right now. So we'll we'll see what Taylor we'll see what Taylor does from here. You you never know until you see the next fight, but uh, we'll see where that goes. Very true. Um, so as far as this weekend, uh-oh, we got a regular. We got ourselves a Leewood Michael Conlin WBA regular featherweight. This is to fight Leo Santa Cruz. So the winner, it should just be the winner fights Leo Santa Cruz. What's wrong with that? Um, but obviously, right. you know, this is how it goes, right? This is on the zone. This is from, I believe, Nottingham um, over across the pond. This is a really close fight on paper. Um, I was just reading it earlier a little bit. Uh, some are not reading it, but kind of going through some of the odds. And, you know, as far as boxing goes nowadays, this is basically a 50-50, the highest I see on um, proboxingodds.com is like a plus 140 or something like that. Um, You know, so obviously it is, you know, I'll say this. I'm not like overly pumped about this fight, but, um, and we can call it whatever the hell we want with the regular stuff, but at least, you know, on paper, it looks like it's going to be a competitive fight. Now, Conlin, kind of funny when Stevenson started out I've said this a couple times over the last few years when Stevenson and Conlon because they you know they turned pro basically at the same time the Olympics and all that and those were two big top rank you know fighters at the time and of course Conlon you know had some fame because you know he got screwed in the Olympics and he flicked off everybody and you know it's kind of a funny shtick with that but my point is Conlon was kind of getting a lot more uh, buzz early, and I'm talking just a few fights in. Um, 
because he had stopped somebody or whatever, you know, that type of thing in, in, in Stevenson hat. And then Conlon kind of, he started to be like, hmm, I'm starting to see this guy's ceiling already, and he hasn't even really fought anybody yet. Whereas Stevenson, obviously, you know, we could say leaps and bounds or whatever, you know, above him now. But, um, and he's got a huge fight coming up, as we know, April 30th. Um, Stevenson and Valdez, which I'm, I'm looking forward to, and I'm glad that's on regular ESPN. But um, here Conlon is kind of just, you know, making his way through his pro career, and now he finally gets kind of a an interesting fight with, with uh, you know, Lee Wood. And more than likely, and I actually heard um, – I did hear Leo Santa Cruz talk about how, you know, he's going to take that fight. Uh, because he, you know, he wants to fight at this weight class. Um, you know, it's obviously featherweight's a lot better for him. And you know, the WBA, since they're somewhat straightening out or, or attempting to straighten out stuff, um, you know, still sixteen and zero. I think he's got like eight or nine knockouts. Take it on Lee Wood, who um, you know beat Kanzu. Hanzu, I think uh, that was his big win. I know he lost to Dickens in a in a really you know tight fight um, sometime in 2020. I think I think early 2020. Um, but it's really kind of like okay, who's going to be a a contender at this weight class and be able to take on Santa Cruz? That's kind of what this fight is. Um, how do you see this one going down? And, and what do you think about Conlon? Who did get a win over Donahue? Or yeah, Don, what is it? TJ? Uh, yeah, he just came off that victory. Um, but other than that, you know, he really hasn't doesn't have too many good wins. I did kind of like what I saw in that one against Donahue. I think it is. Yeah, he, Conlon. You know, he has the amateur pedigree. You know, great Olympic exposure. Top rank gave him exposure. Uh, then, as you said, as it went along, he he hasn't he hasn't looked good. Uh, did look a little better against Donahue, but he 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 still he still hasn't looked. He just still hasn't looked that good. He's had some fights that were just dreadfully boring too, which is never good. Um, yeah, that that hurt him a bit. Uh, you know, I, I think you know forget, you forget the alphabet stuff. Like I always said, say you know. Really, the alphabet stuff comes in with what their promoters want. I mean, you know, that, that's what people don't get. You know, people, you know, with the money at stake and the promoters and these alphabets are only survive when they get a lifeline from the promoters and, and through the sanctioning fees. I mean, they're, they're, they're not going to do a lot of telling the big promoters what to do. I mean, I think people perceive that that's the case, and it's really not. Um, you know, we, we all know in certain promoters have a certain alphabet. So I do think that's worth talking about in this fight because I I think it's, you know, the zone, like, you know, the zone has had an example would be Danny Jacobs, um, you know, has been on the zone. The zone needs at times fighters that have had exposure, you know, on, on bigger broadcast platforms. You know, the zone's just streaming, doesn't have that many subscribers in the US. And and I'm talking from the US perspective, but which matters, you know, they've tried to get a foothold in the US, haven't had that much success, but they're still at it. 
So, you know, Conlon, like you said, you know, the Olympic exposure, he got a lot of it. He got well-known. And then he had a lot – he actually had U.S. ESPN exposure. You know, he fought in New York City on St. Patrick's Day for, you know, boxing in the in the modern era, you know, Conlon got a lot of U.S. exposure. So I think it's worth kind of explaining in terms of this fight happening, I mean, outside of the alphabet stuff, but why the promoters wanted him. He's got, you know, top, you know, he's been with top rank, and now he's coming over to have this fight, and it's going to be on zone. I mean, that has value to Hearn and zone because it's kind of like a lot of people don't get, like with a Caleb Plant fighting Canelo, you know, yeah, maybe these guys don't have the exposure and they're not as well known as they were in the in in eras. But you know, Caleb Plant had a lot more exposure than a lot of other fighters, and that has even when you're fighting Canelo, that has something to do then with selling pay per views. In other words, I'm not saying in the U.S. in the afternoon, Conlon and Wood is going to get any kind of huge viewership. But whatever viewership it's going to get in the U.S. is going to be a lot better because Michael Conlon's on there who's gotten exposure. So it's got some value there. In other words, if Lee, if Lee Wood's fighting in the U.S. on the zone against some, somebody that U.S. fans have never heard of, I mean, we know what right. kind of numbers that's getting. You know, it's, it's you know, minuscule. So uh, I think that that's where this kind of comes in. Um, and, and like you said, then in the ring, it is competitive. I mean, because Wood, you know, just kind of like, as they say, a domestic British level fighter, but showing some pop lately and then the upset win over Kanzu, where he did look good and uh, he showed pop. You know, some people that were advocates of his, I must say, were saying before the zoo fight, you know, Wood's record didn't really show it, but they were advocating for him saying this guy's got a little more pop than you think he has and he did show in that fight so to me that's the key for him going against Conlon who is a boxer who doesn't punch well you know if if Wood can bring the level of power he's brought in his last couple fights and maybe put some hurt on Conlon he's got some chance but but I don't see him winning a decision without any putting any hurt on Conlon so if he can't if he can't bring that power to this fight that he has had in the last couple, you know, I think Conlon's going to decision him. And that's the way I think it's going. I got a gut feeling that he's probably not going to bring that power, even though Conlon hasn't looked that good. He does know how to, and he's had some trouble in some fights. He does know how to box. Um, He's got amateur pedigree much more than would. And I just think that in this fight, yeah, I kind of felt like it was a good, like, that was like, okay, that's more of what we thought he'd be. Right. He did look better. And I like to always put perspective on these things. I won't even get into the eight weight classes, but even with 17, just that featherweight, you know, 126 pounds, even if you're ranking 17, forget the alphabets. You know, you, you want to really, to me, always keep perspective. Where are these guys? These are fringe top 10 guys, you know, so they're on the fringe of the top 10. In other words, you know, bottom part of the top 10, or, you know, if, if you would have them a little lower scraping to get into the top 10, that, that, that's where they stand. So that's, I always like to get to that. I mean, that's what the fight really is. Let's forget about the alphabet stuff. Um, I don't know with boxing politics. I mean, could even with the WBA, you know, could these guys end up fighting Leo Santa Cruz after this? 
PBC's put a lot into Leo Santa Cruz uh, on Fox and Showtime, and and I think when that's the case, that's when the fighter's probably not going to move. I mean, that's what is a little surprising about Conlon fighting on the zone. But, you know, we've seen Bob Arum and Top Rank, let's face it, I mean, they, they are much quicker to cut guys uh, and lose interest yeah. in them than the other promotions. So I don't know. I'm not saying I know that to be the case, but I'm just saying, you know, the way they are after Conlon had some boring performances and didn't look good, I mean – you know, he, he may not he may not be valued like he was to them. Uh, I mean, that, that would definitely be safe to say. So uh, they, maybe they figured in that case. You know, then some people brought up, well, they let Jose Ramirez take the one fight against Hooker on his own, which they did. That was really that was really a rarity. Uh, they did do it, and, and obviously they maintained interest in Ramirez. So it's happened, but it hasn't happened much. Let's face it; it's it's pretty rare this and this was a purse rare. bid wasn't it this was yeah, a purse bid. Could, I forgot about that. Yeah, right yeah. and uh, but i always still kind of go on even with those, but still you're I, right i just think it's, yep. if the promoters want it that's the way i look at it you know in other words mm-hmm. if i just don't know if wba regular i mean it's a marketing tool you know i don't know if it means that much you know it, it just kind of to me depends like you know what what the fighters promoter really has in mind for their plan and and what they're trying to do with them. So this fit, I'm just thinking of some reasons why it fit. Um, you know, yeah, promotional tool for Conlon if he picks up WBA regular, they're looking at that some, and I think it, it's got a lot of value for Hearn and DAZN, uh where you know maybe more than it even should. We know DAZN's overpaid for a lot, so uh, you know when they can when they get a guy that's got some broadcast exposure and they can have him fight on DAZN. I know that has value to them in the U.S. So um, yeah, I, I think that's where that's got some value. I mean, of course, Conlon, you know, well well known over in the U.K. and and Ireland as well. So um, yeah, there's there's some value there. Um, as we've said before too, it's. I, I just I think when we talk about these overly long cards and going on late, especially in the East in the U.S., these cards from the U.K. have some potential value with when these main events are going to start. You know, around you know between five and six Eastern time in the U.S. So I'd, I'd like like them to keep that in mind and know, know that you know but there are a lot of times something primarily directed to the the British market. And I, and, and I don't want the British fans to think I disregard that when I say that, but I'm just thinking there's dual potential with these things. In other words, you know, can still have yeah. it in the UK appeal to the British market. But when you look at what time these things are going to start in the Eastern US, if you market some of these things to some US sensibilities, you, you might get more out of the whole thing and boxing might get more out of the whole thing. So that's what I'm looking at with Conlon having gotten, gotten some U.S. exposure, but I think he should have enough to decision would again, as we saw with Martinez last week, uh, providing nothing crazy goes on with with the weight, uh, you know, at the way sure. in the day before the fight. Right, yeah, so I'm looking at it again, Matchroom did outbid top rank 1.5 6 repeating to 1.21 um, and you'd think that it would be a, per, you know, there's potential for another purse bid um, with the winner because it did get called for. So I, I think it would be a mandatory type thing. You know, it's funny. 
So I'm looking at um, Conlon's last fight, and like I said, it was a good performance, but it was for the vacant WBA Instrum world title. So the more things, you know, change, the more they stay the same, right? I mean, Instrum vacant? Like, golly, man, they're really, really pushing it there. Yeah, I think that's important, Chris. I mean, you know, I, I say it, I'm going to keep saying it because I believe it. I mean, I, I'm surprised that to me, people who should know better, and then you can wonder, you know, if if there's bias. I mean, we know how the, the promoters use the alphabets as marketing tools and, and they're in with the promoters. Right. I mean, you know, I, I can't see defending the alphabets as being any kind of hill you want to die. You want to die on in, in your following of boxing. I, yeah. I can't see that. To me, there's no logic there. Uh, so, you know, they, they're just bad for the sport. And, uh, it, it, it's you know, the ratings are ludicrous. All you got to do is look at their ratings. I mean, so, you know, you, you, can't, you can't take them seriously if you just even look at their ratings. Um, and, then, and then all these belts, you, inter, you got WBA, regular WB interim, WBA interim. And, you know, only the WBA could be in the title reduction program by having more title fights. In other words, instead of just eliminating the titles, they're going to have more title fights in the process of, quote, unquote, eliminating the titles. So it, it's just absolutely, you know, ludicrous. I mean, uh, uh, even, you know, Stephen Espinosa, who is candid, I think, a lot of the time, most of the time, I mean, uh, you know, he said a few years ago, I mean, these, these are just used as marketing tools, you know? Um, yeah. And, and, I mean, I, I, I wish – I think he does know. I wish Showtime, you know, would, would change their coverage. You know, we know HBO did that years back. Now HBO dropped it, and then they went in with the WBO. You know, let's face it, and did some stuff with the right. alphabets. But there was a lot of years. There was a lot of years though where they really were trying to get away from it. And you and I have talked a lot about how PBC, in their first year or so, to their yeah. credit, they went away from it. And, and they wouldn't even so show the guy putting his belt on. I, and that was great. I loved it. They wouldn't even mention the alphabets. I mean, that was the idea. But, you know, too hard to navigate the waters. I mean, HBO dropped it. PBC dropped it. In other words, going yep. against that. But I, I still think there's some potential there because if you have a big enough TV network that just says, eh, you know, we're, we're bigger than the alphabets. We're not going to play ball with them. Um, you know, the, you don't pay the sanctioning fees, and then you just you – don't, you don't need them. You just have big fights and – and then they go away. But, but as long as TV is going to, you know, think they need them as a marketing tool, uh, they're going to, they're going to, ha- they're going to, they're going to leech around. Yeah. So, uh, but I can't, yeah, I just can't definitely. see taking it. Yeah. I like, uh, I, I think Conlon will win this fight, but I'm hoping for a competitive fight as competitive, uh, as it can be, especially what it looks like on paper. Um, any other items, there is a show box as well. Um, any other items that you uh, want to talk about here, John? No, that's about it, Chris. Really, just what we wrapped up. You mentioned with the WBA nonsense. You see a lot of it. Um, you know, just just the alphabets. I, I just, I just not everybody, but you know, I see some people that to me should know better. Take taking them taking them seriously and thinking that that's some part of your answer moving forward. I mean, that that's not any answer. I mean, that's just you know, driven a lot of things in the sport into the gutter. Not that boxing hasn't always had some problems, but certainly the right. answer is not 
anywhere. <laughs> the answer is not anywhere within the alphabet. So uh, let's let's not let's let's look elsewhere for the answer. But yeah, I think uh, this colony wood fight could be competitive. So I'm looking forward to it uh, in that sense. Oh, and then just since you mentioned it, I'll just I'll just go. But uh, I I have said you know before on the show, and I'm going to say because it good timing with what's you know been reported today. I just don't see the way they've picked their spots for Mungia, how that right. would end with Alama Kaluli, uh, even even with an alphabet interim bell. I, I just don't think that that would be part of their plan. Uh, he's a top-ranked guy as well. I could be wrong, but that but that's still going to be my take. So now we see, you know, he's apparently been offered a Charlo fight. You know. I, Again, it, it, to me, it comes down to what the promoters want. You know, would would Golden yeah. Boy, Zamper, uh, would Gia's team, would they – Would I mean, I think why you think about taking Charlo, I think some people get wrong. I, I mean, Alamo Kaluli has a different style, but it's not that by any means you mean Jamal Charlo would be easy for Munguia or if you're even saying necessarily Munguia is going to win. But but that could be a, a big U.S. fight, you know. So there's more yes. money there. I, I'm going to say that's why you're maybe Texas. looking at it. Right. So, you know, I'm not saying they'll take it because then they, you know, there's some bad blood with Golden Boy and PBC. You know, you had you did have a time where, you know, you had Joseph Diaz fought Gary Russell Jr. Uh, on Showtime sure. a few years ago. Yeah, you know, there can be times where they do this stuff, but you know, they a lot of times they don't want to. So I don't know, but maybe if this fight is big enough, it could happen. I would think to me, it it would be more likely uh, than the Alamakan Wooly fight because yeah, they could they could probably. I don't think top ranks so high on Alamakan Wooly that they would insist that he be fighting on ESPN or something like that. You know, I think they, right. they could do that on their own. But again, I don't think that that's where Mungi has been heading with they're picking the spot. So I would think they, they might be taking a look at, you know, how, how big is this Charlo, Charlo fight, but you know, I could yeah, how big the offer is. Yeah. How big is that offer? If it's big enough, if they think it could be big enough in the U S maybe, maybe they might consider it. And that would be a good fight, but, uh, that's the only reason I, I'll think maybe there's a chance of it happening. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that they they probably got some things they're waiting on with Mungi. I don't know if it's, you know, Canelo or Golovkin down the line, but uh, I, I, they seem like the, the spot they've picked for him that, that I think they're going to play it relatively safe until they yeah. get to whatever that spot is. Yeah. They've played the long game and right now, are they going to all of a sudden, you know, divert from that plan out of nowhere with a super dangerous fight. It's not likely, but uh, you never know. You never know. No, uh, it would be nice just to get some kind of like, Hey, there's top 10 middleweights fighting. Hey, okay. This is, this is something exactly. new. like, Hey, we actually got a middleweight fight. We're kind of stylistically, I mean, sign me up for the fight. You know what I mean? Stylistically, that's going to, that'd be a great fight, but uh, yeah, I know I'm not trying to get too, uh, too excited about it, but I do appreciate you taking out time. A little late night as well. You take it easy. Enjoy the fights this weekend. All right, Chris, you too. Thanks for having me as always. All right, take it easy. Take care. Yep, you too. All righty. Um, just to kind of, 
I think, let me see here. I think we covered, I think we covered most of, oh, there was that, uh, there was that fight where they both got knocked down. That Venezuela, he lost to uh, Kisiko. Kisiko. I forgot how to say his name, but um, there was they traded knockdowns. That's for sure. Um, but he ended up losing. Um, Venezuela ended up losing that fight. Um, um, oh, but my thought on Gabe Flores, you know it. He did win the fight. I thought he won the fight. It was, I think, 95-95. Uh, two of them had 96-94. That's how he won. It was a majority decision. But it was a tough fight. It was really, really competitive. Montoya definitely landed, like, a, a good chunk of hard shots. I mean, that you can't take that away from him. Um, Flores got off to a pretty good start, so I think that kind of saved him. Uh, but yeah, he didn't look he didn't look all that good. Really didn't. Uh, and maybe going up to lightweight will help him. Could be. It is lightweight. Yeah, it is lightweight. So, you know, maybe maybe that'll be a difference maker. Um, you know, I don't know. Some people are saying uh, he needs to you know switch trainers as well. But it was competitive. I mean, that's for sure. I think it was was it. Did they say that on the? I think it was Kriegel who uh, said that on the broadcast. Um, and then also, uh, um, there was a there was a draw. I think. I, well, there's a couple of draws uh, from Saturday. Juan Carlos Burgos drew um, Angel Fierro. It was it was a majority draw, ninety six ninety four, and then ninety five ninety five Fierro. Or Fierro was um, did have a winning card on there, but that's what made it a majority draw. And he did. I can't take a ton out of that. We'll see. Hector uh, Tana, Taha, what is it? Tanahara. He took on Miguel Contreras. Um, and that actually, you know, that was a good action fight. I did. That was what an eight rounder, I believe. Um, and that was a draw. That was definitely a draw. Uh, somebody had it 76-76, one scorecard. Uh, I think they were all the same, weren't they? Or, or no, Tanahara, I think his was 78-74. And then the other one, Contreras, was uh, 77-75. But that actually was, you know, a good, I mean, was it the seventh or eighth round? I mean, there was some big, big shots. Um, big, like two huge exchanges, uh, right hands, I believe. Um, but other than that, um, so that was really good. Like I said, there was a lot of fights, but at least they turned out to be competitive, you know, um, which is cool. Now, like I also said, you know, Flores and some of these guys, like that Gonzalez, Joe Gonzalez, uh, San what is it, Joe Santisamia? He, um, that shouldn't have been a stoppage. I'll say that. I don't, I don't, what was it? Was it a, I think it was a right hand, wasn't it? I think it was a right hand that kind of stumbled him back, but it seemed like it was just premature. It's 
especially in the ninth round when it's only going 10. Right? He was only going 10 in that one. Uh, but Joe Gonzalez, to his credit, did get the win, though. Uh, so either way, you know, he's coming off that loss to Navarrete, Navarrete, however you say it, because, you know, I've heard it both ways now. Um, but overall, it was uh, there was some competitive fights in there. Some of the guys, you know, the, the Richard Torres, like you said, we didn't get much out of that. That was a quick knockout. Same with the Diego Pachero. I did want, I do want to see more of him. Um, but I only, I only caught a good chunk of that. Um, actually, I think it was just a, just a couple rounds and then the highlights of that, uh, Kisamora, whatever that, that Venezuela where they both knocked each other. They both got knocked down. They didn't knock each other down at the same time. It wasn't, it wasn't that crazy. And then Castro, honestly, like he got knocked down. He won the fight, but. He is one of these guys that I don't know if he's going to just take longer or he's just a damn good amateur. And, he, you know, I don't know. I hate to say it because, what, it's only six fights in. So I, I don't I don't want to cap this guy out. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to say that. Uh, Boladero's got a – Carlos Badreo's got a, got a win, too, if I remember correctly. So there was um, – usually, I got to admit, some of these undercards – not so much because they're just one-sided type stuff, but I do, I do gotta I do gotta give him credit for that. Um, yeah, I have Conlon winning by decision. Um, I just a lot of it is going off. What have you done for me lately? In his last fight against Dohene, I think it's Dohene, TJ Dohene. He was a solid fighter, has some good wins and whatnot. Uh, it was definitely his best performance. Um, he did drop him. It was a body shot like the midway rounds. I can't remember exactly what round it was. I think it was the sixth or fifth or something like that. But, um, you know, I mean, Kanzu, I, I got to give credit to Lee Wood, though. You know, it's, it's funny because Kanzu, you know, can, the featherweight division of late in the last, I don't know, two years or whatever, has been kind of funky. You know what I mean? It has been. Um and I remember Kanzu beat uh, Jesus Rojas. Uh, he kind of—I think that was kind of his jumping on the scene type fight. Uh, and then Manny Robles, I know he, but he ended up losing. Got knocked out late TKO. I'm actually looking at it right now on Box Rack. Um, you know, I know he's got—he did get stopped, uh, but that was a while ago. I think that was really, yeah, that was Gavin McDonald, like, in 2014. McDonald was a damn, pretty damn good fighter. I I liked him. Uh, But that Dickens, that was a close fight. Um, I don't remember how I scored it, but that was very, very competitive. In fact, the scorecards, yeah, they were all really tight. 95-95, you know, 96-94, 95-94. So, um, and anytime you see scorecards like that, you can kind of tell that it's in the UK. I don't mind scoring draw rounds, as you guys know, but um, man, it freaks a lot of people out. Um, the Showbox card Friday is headlined Holmes and Brown, um, and then there's unbe- un- unbeaten prospect. I think he has a lightweight, uh, Luis Acosto, taking on Edwin De Los Santos. So um, he's, you know. Got some pop. Also, Giovanni Marquez, the son of uh, Ra- Raul Marquez, 
he's making his pro debut on that. So I don't know. Is that going to be a quadruple header or just a triple header? It might be a, it a well, I don't, I think it, because uh, Navarro is fighting on that. Here, let me check really quick. Because it, that, that fight might go, it's only four rounds anyway. Yeah, Navarro, David Navarro when, is fighting Guman, Gavino Guman, uh, featherweight, six-rounder. So if you got a four and a six-rounder, you could probably fit in those other two. So this might be more of a traditional four-fight um, card, if I remember correctly on that one. I think so. Because the last one, usually lately, kind of lately anyway, it's been triple headers. Um, but this last one, someone got hurt. That's what it was. Yep, somebody got hurt. And so that's why it was just a double header. That's right. So, um, you know, there's not a ton of, it's, you know, like I said, at least we got a 50-50 in there. I'm looking at the cards, or looking at the odds this weekend. Uh, Mark Leach and Chris Work. That's actually a tight one on, on you know, on paper. Um and, you know, we're talking Tuesday, so some of these odds will be updated. But it's kind of a light weekend. Next weekend is pretty light as well in the way – like Virgil Ortiz Jr. is fighting, you know, and Berlanga is fighting. But their opponents aren't – it's not something that I'm just completely pumped about, I guess you could say. Um, and then we, we end March with uh, a couple different fights. Of course, we were supposed to get Charlo and Castaño on the 20th, but uh, the 26th, Warrington, Kiko Martinez, kind of interested in that one. You know, that should be a good But, yeah, overall, you know, kind of a light weekend. Let's hope that Lee Wood-Michael Conlon fight. I do have Conlon winning by decision. Let's hope that. Um, because, like I said, the winner could fight, and it sounds like Santa Cruz was on board, um, but I think it was mandated. So isn't that going to – if it's mandated, then, then that's kind of like you're a mandatory, right? So maybe, um, maybe it would go to Perspid, maybe it wouldn't. You know, I'm not sure. I don't know if they'd put that on Showtime or if the zone, you know, Matchroom would just step way up. But then again, I can't say Matchroom because that's a woodwinds, right? So um, maybe, maybe they would. I don't know. That that seems like it would go. How much would they give to Conlon? Would they give him a million bucks to fight Santa Cruz? I don't know. But I wouldn't mind seeing that fight. Um, it's not bad. You know, it's a good, pretty good fight, the winner of this. And Santa Cruz had that time off. So to get a fight and then get another fight uh, later on this year and then maybe build yourself to something. That would build yourself to something pretty big. Obviously, a lot of people, you know, Navarrete, and, you know, that would be a bomb-ass fight, too. But I don't see that happen. You never know, though, I suppose. But I doubt it. But, yeah, um, there is a couple of fight news items that we'll get to. Um, I'm going to go ahead and see if Portland – by the way, who's ever on, you can press one. Not talking to you, Portland, but – uh, Josue, if you if you want to join us tonight, that's cool. If not, that's cool too. But anyone on right now, you want to press one, join in, go right ahead. Um, but either way, there is some 
fight news out there. It sounds like, you know, the well, not sounds like the WBO did actually, um, you know, clarify, hey, as long as the fight, and I'm talking about Castaño and Charlo, as long as the fight gets done, you know, gets made by, what was it, May 14th, um, a day before my birthday, by the way, May, as long as it gets done May 14th, we're good to go, you know, because obviously step aside money involved or step aside fight. We know uh, Tim Sue is going to fight here. He was supposed to fight on the undercard. But, yeah, it, um, of course, they had to postpone it, um, what, a month and a half, almost two months. So May 14th, it's going to be on Showtime. Um, and like I said, the WBA ruled it. Obviously, there was a bicep tear. Um, like, it must have been a pretty minor bicep tear. Um, you know, if, you, if you're going to be back in like two months. But I'm really happy that it's back. Castaño sounds like he... A lot of people think, I'll just admit, like, this is alleged, we don't know, but a lot of people think because... A lot of people think that Castanio just needed more time to lose weight. And the reason why, not just because, like, I'm not a doctor. When I hear, you know, a bicep tear, I, I don't know the diagnosis. I didn't see an x-ray. Obviously, he showed how hurt he was, and it was good enough for them. Um, you know, whatever. Uh, they had to show it. Um uh, Tim Zoo and for, you know, his representation said, hey, we want to see to make sure he's hurt. So it is what it is. Maybe it's just, well, obviously it's something minor. But the reason why people think that is because Castaño's the one that said he gained some weight. And, he, you know, everyone, not everyone, but most people gain some, some weight. Some people go way higher than you think they should. Some people go high, and, and they're, but they're disciplined, and it's not like a fat camp, you know? So... But a lot of people think that he's just, he needed more time. But when a guy comes out and tells you, you know, that he got a little overweight after that fight, then it's hard not to think that. I mean, you know, I think that's pretty basic. You know, I don't think that's ripping Castaño. He's the one who told us that. So, um, I don't know. My point is, I'm happy it's happened. It's happened. Because it's a, it, it, the first one was a really good fight that warranted a rematch, clearly. A lot of people thought Castaño won the fight, and I definitely lean Castaño in that fight, uh, or in the first fight. Now, the second one, I, I haven't really thought all the way through just yet. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly how I'm going to you know, go with that one. Um, we did get some news in the way, a couple different fight date news. Uh, items that we'll talk about. Um, Fulton and Roman. Stephen Fulton and Daniel Roman is a good-ass fight. Roman obviously had that loss, what, 2000, was that 19 already? Or was it, was that the beginning of 2020? God, time has just flown by. Sometimes I just, I kind of lose track in that time frame, but that was a competitive fight. I, I want to say that was a, Majority decision. Was it split? I think it was majority. I can't remember, but that was a good fight. Roman and, and MJ. And Fulton and Roman, I mean, 
this dude, Bolt, just keeps the, – the opponent level, what he's fought through, the amount of fights he has, is really impressive. So that's going to be made on Showtime, of course, 122 has been popping off on Showtime. June or July is the date. We know that, you know, not really excited about this fight per se, the, the, the Roley Gervonta. At least Roley did get his fight that he wanted. I'll say that. He got, they didn't charge him with anything in that case. Whether that, that means it's going to be completely out of his life for good or not, I have no clue. But they didn't have enough time, you know, they didn't have enough evidence to charge at that moment. So that's cool that he's at least getting the fight that he feels like he got screwed. But, yeah, that, I'm not, like, jazzed for that fight. Um, and it is one of those pay-per-views where a string, you know, we're, we got, it's a pay-per-view that I'm not that interested in. You know, if someone rented it and said, hey, man, because Gervonta draws interest from casuals, clearly, right? And uh, so that might be one where you go, oh, either, you know, sit on the sidelines and watch it the next day on Daily Motion or wherever, you know, legally you can watch it. Because um, I always say, you know, there is a difference between live streaming it and, and stealing a pay-per-view and then watching it later that night or the next day. Because, you know, <clears throat> these people know where their fights are. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of stuff goes to all the best fights. Obviously, YouTube for years. Daily Motion, a lot of times it's all kind of together in that sense. But um, I'm not, re- I, you know, I still have the same, I, I think that, I still have the same mentality on the fight. I'm not really that excited for it. And I definitely was happy with Ebon Cruz instead. You know, Roley does have that power, and there is a chance that Davis wants to knock him out. Well, Davis wants to knock everybody out pretty much, but, you know, there, there is there's a chance for a competitive fight for a while, but you know, with Roley, it's kind of like I mean, if you earn, if you got a fight, you got the fight. You know, some people have to earn their fights, some people don't. It is what it is. Obviously, people really can't get the loss that Roley should have out of their mind, which would probably have disqualified him from this fight. Uh, at the given time, anyway. Now, maybe he gets a couple quality wins or a big win in a, in a year from now, and then got the Gervonta fight. But that it just it streams like I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it'll be a good fight, but I, I'm not really looking forward to it um, per se, especially being on pay per view. But that we what I was going to say is you know February. What was that? February. There was late January. Well, early January pay per view two pay-per-views, and then the Thurman pay-per-view. So we had, we had four pay-per-views, just two of them were really little, so nobody really talked about them. But my point is, what was that, February 5th? So February 5th, all the way to, what's the next pay-per-view? Oh, April 16th, uh, Spence Ugas, right? So we get this two-month break that seems like something that we normally got in years past anyway, a two, three month, you know, break, sometimes four months before another pay-per-view game, right? But it it doesn't feel like a break because from last October, we got one pretty much every month. And to be fair, 
there's two in August, so it's like it's kind of like we're you know we're getting there's back to back in August or not in August but in April. So it's kind of like if if that would have just been in March, it would have been every other month anyway. So it does get it it gets lost in a time frame of Spence Ugas, uh, Fury White, Canelo Biffle, and then Gervonta. So when I look at those four fights. Gervonta and, 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 you know, Tank against uh, Roley, that's the least interesting fight out of those four. I think that's pretty clear. Now, some people will disagree with me. Maybe that will be the highlight knockout out, out of all of them, and, and we'll be talking about it. I don't know. I am very interested in two out of those four. The Dillian White fight in, in theory, that, that might be, you know, that might get caught up in it. It's a date, you know, afternoon. It'll be too late in the afternoon, though, for me, um, because, uh, you know, I work on the weekends. So I've watched many of undercards from the U.K., and then right when it's about the, you know, the ring walks are coming, okay, I got to leave. You know what I mean? So um, I'm not sure about that one. I, You know, if, if – some people late night, you know, if I get a couple text messages, be like, hey, dude, you going to watch that Fury fight when we get off, when we get off work? Because I know a lot of people in the industry, so in the brewery industry, bartending industry, you know, bar industry in general. So, you know, if I don't have to pay for it or if I only got to chip in 10 or 20 bucks or something like that, 20 bucks, I may get it. But that one is like, so two out of the four I'm really interested in, I plan on paying for it. Uh, the Ugas Spence, and then the Canelo Biffle. Those two I'm, I'm down for. But when you start to mix it up four in a, in a short amount of stretch, that's where you start to be like, well, I'm going to pick and choose because this stuff isn't spread out. You know what I mean? Um, but that is, what was it, June 4th? I think it's June 4th, if I'm not, not mistaken. Um, so May 14th is Charlo Castaño, which is a great fight. Looking forward to that rematch. Fulton Roman, that's June, July. And then we'll see if Munguia takes that offer. You know, we'll, we'll see if Munguia takes that offer. I, you know, I haven't heard any kind of numbers from it or anything like that. And sometimes, you know, that's just a bunch of bullshit anyway. It's tough to say, you know what I mean? But um, stylistically, that would be popping. And actually, I didn't mention that, but, oh, I did mention that one earlier. That's right. We talked about that a little bit. But since I messaged it, I did get a message, someone saying, oh, they'll offer Munguia, but they won't offer Andre. Well, that's funny you say that because, you know, Showtime did offer Andre to fight Charlo. I mean, that's just facts. Now, we could say Charlo could have taken that money and went to the zone to fight Andre, and that's fair. But not forget, Showtime offered, and Andre's the one who said it. See, these people are so one-sided. They don't look at it openly. You say you're a boxing fan. And by the way, if you're on right now, press one. Let's talk it through. I don't know if you're on or not. Well, you, you actually, you'd have to be on. Yeah, you'd have to be. Well, I did mention it earlier, didn't I? Maybe I did before the cutoff, but we're well into the archive time, so you'd probably be on. My point is, 
the facts of it, like I said, when that Charlo news came out and people keep saying the seven mil, we don't know if it was seven mil. And the reason why I say that is because Eddie Hearn covered the number. <laughs> so we're just supposed to take his word for it. He covered the number. Because remember, they showed it. I think it was IFL TV. They showed the email, but he put his thumb on the number amount. So if it's seven mil, then just show us the seven mil. Then, you know, it's kind of weird. Could have been under. It doesn't matter. My point is, it went both ways. And now, of course, you can always say, well, Andre would would make more money on zone, And that's fair. That's why he went to zone in general, to make more money per fight regardless. Right, and that that is fair, but before he signed that deal, he said it. He said that Showtime offered me two separate deals: a one fight deal just to fight Charlo, which at that time was a was a career high, and then a multi fight deal with Showtime as well. So to say they didn't offer him, that's just bullshit. Now that's not saying that Charlo couldn't have went over there. But like I said, that goes to a lot of times, like we use the Danny Jacobs, and I'm getting sick of saying this, but you use the Danny Jacobs. Jacobs was with PBC, right? He was with PBC because this dude messaged me back. He brought up Jacobs. Jacobs (laughs) Jacobs was with the PBC. What was the first fight Jacobs left? Why don't you just press one, dude? I'm assuming you're. Anyway, Jacob's first fight off of the BBC was with who? Golovkin. Okay? That's why he left, because of that opportunity. Now, they didn't offer Golovkin to Charlo. I mean, the WBC even called for it, and he didn't take the fight. Now, I'm not saying he ducked him, because he went and got the Canelo rematch. So, that's cool. And we know that Canelo, the franchise tag... The franchise thing came in that time frame. I mean, Canelo's been offered the Charlo fight now a third time, or at least twice, and he didn't take it. Now, I'm not saying he didn't, he's ducking him, but when you have a main event fighter and you have a deal, they're going to want the main event fighters, which Charlo is, to fight on their platform. Now, if it's something big, then you go. That's why Danny went. What was the first fight to... Just press one. Stop messaging me. I'm not even going to read these messages, dude. When was the the first fight on the zone for Jacobs? Do you know what it was? It was Canelo. So let's just keep everything in perspective. By the way, Madrimov Soro, that weird ending, the WBA has ordered an immediate rematch, according to Keith Eidick on BoxingScene.com. So there, there's something there. Um, Benavides and Lemieux, uh, May 21st. Now that we know Canelo's taking that other deal, Benavides was tied in that deal. Um, and they were just kind of saying, is he going to be the co-feature or what, you know, when do we going to, when are we going to do the fight? Now it's going to be in the footprint arena in Phoenix, Benavides hometown. This is according to ESPN ringside, Mike Coppinger, David Benavides, Lemieux, May 21st. And that's for, isn't that for the interim belt i think it is and then you can try to kind of what um you could try to become the mandatory but wait that's a wbc so there is no mandatory for the wbc because he's a franchise so 
So I don't even think that would work anyway, now that I think about it. Um, oh, uh, Rigan, dude, Rigo, Guillermo Rigan Diao, man. I mean, he just took an L, right, unfortunately. But then, this is uh, according to Corey Erdman, um, he suffered a, a freak accident from a pressure cooker that exploded in his face. And it sounds like he's going to make a full recovery, but he was reportedly, like, with only 20% of his vision. According to the report, there was hope that only the retina was damaged, that the tissue could regenerate. And I believe he said that they are looking that, you know, he will make a full recovery. But, man, that's, that's kind of scary out of nowhere. That kind of it is. It's like, whoa, damn. Oh, um, Mike Marley. R.I.P. Mark Marley, who was battling Parkinson's, uh, passed away. He's a former uh, New York Post columnist, uh, Don King publicist, Emmy Award winner, the Howard Cosell Show. This is actually Lou DiBella. Boxing lost another uh, colorful storyteller character today. This is from a couple of days ago. Um, The lovable madman, Mike Marley, passed. Um, so rest in peace. I do remember a couple of interviews listening to him and talk, you know, a little more than that. But I remember uh, there was a podcast that that did that, uh, that had, God, what was the damn, was it the Boxing Truth? That's what it was. Yeah, because Vic actually just the other day was talking about that on Twitter. This is from Live Lanks. This is a little bit ago. Um, Scott Fitzgerald has admitted to assault, and Fitzgerald's a UK fighter. I think he's in base. I think he's English, right? He's from England, I believe. To get specific, if I'm wrong, we'll just call it UK, okay? Uh, Fitzgerald, though, <coughs> admitted to assaulting his girlfriend after a three-day drink and drug session earlier this month. He kicked her and pushed her to the ground. So he's been sentenced 18-month community order with community order with 30 days of rehabilitation activities. Community order, is that like probation? 18-month community order? Does that mean it says sentence? What's community order mean? Does that mean you're on probation and you got to go through all this shit, or does that mean he has to go to jail for 18 months? I, I can't. I don't know what that means uh, totally. It, it kind of looks like probation. Um, that's one thing, man. Dem- domestic abuse, dudes beating up their girls or their wives or whatever. That shit. If you look, you can. It's crazy, dude. You can go to you can go to jail for much longer for drugs, but when you beat up a woman, you're good. I mean, a lot of times it doesn't get charged, as we know. But uh, and even rape. I mean, there's. T- it's fucking crazy, but you can you can rape a girl and go to jail. And get out earlier than somebody that, you know, sold drugs. It's fucking just nuts, man. Um, this is from Fight Ghost per Meltzer. Triller lost oh wow, Triller lost eight hundred and eleven million dollars in two thousand and twenty one. Ryan Kavanaugh is extremely good at getting people to give him money and extremely good at losing that money. <laughs> um yeah. I heard they got Kovalev fight. Um, is that about it? I think so. We're just going to do a little boxing Twitter segment 
which is heavy Chocolatito, of course. And then we're going to get out of here. Uh, this is Gary William, um, who's a good follow, by the way. I wouldn't make oh, I wouldn't make Bam Chocolatito just yet. Bam should move back down and clear out his own division first. But I guarantee you, when the time is right, Chocolatito will be passing the torch over to Bam, and he'll stay at for more than a decade. Future of Tekken, Mr. Honda is a genius. I wonder though, is the uh, you know is Gonzalez gonna fight him in two years or a year and a half? Kind of what he's saying there. Uh, I don't know about that. The guard pull is so beautiful from Chocolatito. Does that shit effortlessly. That in the angles thrown as uppercuts at when it oh at, when he's close. Must see TV for boxing. No kidding. Uh, Chocolatito left uppercut should be admitted to the Hall of Fame on its own. <laughs> that shit's funny. Oh, uh, I'm a troll apparently for saying Ali, Lewis, Foreman, and Bo would all beat Tyson Fury. And Johnny Wilds below said, nothing wrong with an opinion. While I don't agree with you, it makes for God, good conversation. Ali would beat Fury, I think. Lewis got a great jab. That's a good fight. Foreman, Bo, yeah, I mean, those are good fights. It's tough to say, um, all that stuff. People will criticize Con Brook rematch, but are happy at Canelo Triple G3. That's a total different that's, – that's, that's not even – that's that's weak. Um, turn pro at 18. We're talking about Gonzalez here. Turn pro at 18, world champion at 21, pound for pound, number one at 27. Knocked out, written off at 30, defies the odds to win another world title at 33, and now take it on the next generation. Roman Gonzalez is legendary. No doubt about that. Um, <laughs> so this is, this is somebody talking about the, the zone pay-per-views. Okay, all you dummies aren't paying attention. Marko Marko said, wait a year and compare value. DAZN ain't going nowhere. Well, I don't think anyone thinks it's going anywhere. Canelo Bivol will do a million-plus pay-per-views, as will Golovkin 3. Meanwhile, Tank Errol will cream themselves at 400000 Canelo and Bivol's not doing a million. Sorry. I mean... For sure, the Golovka, that will. I think that will. But, or, or damn close. But you think Bivol and Canelo is going to do a million buys? I mean, hey, I'm all for it. That would be dope. But I just don't see that. zone. So it says zone parentheses then. Pay-per-view is bad. We will never do it. zone parentheses uh, now. Actually, pay-per-view is good. And we're totally going to do it, but we promise to act sad about it. Media outlets, wow, so humble, so brave, because they admitted they're wrong. You know what's funny, though, about that pay-per-view thing? It's kind of funny because they're like, oh, you know, I mean, they should have known they had to do pay-per-view. I mean, to that business model, although, I, you know, I was cheering for it, it, it didn't ever really line up with making any kind of money, which you have to do at some point. So – it to like how you know Eddie Hearn is a great promoter, especially in the UK, and he's good at running his mouth, which what you know what fight you know what promoters should be good at, right? 
and you know he's great online presence he has a fair amount of detail that you don't get a whole lot of uh in interviews out of promoters i give him a lot of credit there but as far as the u.s thing um he just they made an approach that was just nuts and they 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 didn't do their research enough they didn't do their detailed research on how many people they're actually going to be able to not just get to subscribe, but the fighters themselves. You know what I mean? That that was huge. And for them to think that they weren't going to do pay-per-view really makes me scratch my head. Um, here we go. There's a little more on this. Reading a lot of hot takes and articles today about the sport of boxing, certain companies seem to get unlimited bail money from the media when they do something wrong. A lot of yeah, but, and things change comments. It's funny, other companies uh, in the sport don't get that luxury. Yes, that is true. That is true. Mayweather, Pacquiao, Chocolatito, the three greatest fighters in the last 15 years. It's not close. It's not debatable. (laughs) Um, I think Andre Ward has a debate there. Anyway, I know that's going to piss some people off, but oh well. Michelle, this is, this is, this doesn't surprise me one bit. Michelle Phelps asking Usyk why Joshua, why the Joshua rematch can't happen in Ukraine, why a full-scale invasion is going on, is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I did see that clip. Why couldn't it happen in Ukraine? She asked Usyk, and this was right. Before, I think this was right, either right as it happened or right before it was going to happen. It's like. Are you out of here? Is that really something that you're thinking about? Like, why did you ask that question? Like, how, it, it's just crazy. All these years on, can I can count the number of people in boxing who've spoken out against Daniel Kinahan being part of the sport uh, on the fingers of one hand, which that's not true, but not a lot of people have talked about it. He says, oh, I get a, a bunch, but, oh, but Frankie Carbo, right? which that's obviously the mob guy back in the day. But he was sentenced 25 years in prison related to corruption in boxing. They always leave that part out. <laughs> that is kind of funny how, how that does. Uh, do y'all honestly believe that the Ukraine-Russian war, uh, during the Ukraine-Russian war, that the powers that be would allow the Russian citizen to win a decision over the biggest star in American boxing? Really think about it, Canelo Bibble. Yeah, but think about it, dude. It doesn't. It's not because he's Russian. I mean, it's hard to win a decision over over Canelo. It just is. I mean, look, Floyd Floyd won the fight ten to two, and they had a draw scorecard, dude. Like it just is that you know. There's a sides, and then there's just uber a sides, and that's what Canelo is. And so to sit there and be like, well, they'll you know, they'll never give a Russian a, a decision. I, I I understand your point, you know, but I just don't think it. Re- I I think sure you could say that adds a little layer to it, sure, but it's like people are gonna boo him regardless. If Canelo's fighting, they're getting booed, dude. You know, unless um, besides like Mayweather still got booed, but at least he had you know a fan base there too. So. I don't think that, oh, what, so that fight shouldn't be made because Bibble's going to get screwed? Like, I don't know. I mean, I get it. I get it. It will 
I don't I don't know, man. I just don't think it matters that he's Russian. Like in the end, you know, it doesn't help his cause during this. Sure, you can say that, but either way, he's a clear B side. He might be the hardest fight for Canelo, but he's the the most clear B side out of Charlo, Benavidez, and Golovkin and Bibble. Bibble's the the farthest B side away from being known, so that hurts you anyway. Anyway, I think I'm going to wrap that up. Um, you know, enjoy the fights. Hopefully something pops off, you know, on that show box. Hopefully, like I mentioned, the Conlon fight with Wood is, is good. Everything's good with Wood. What's up, Wood, by the way? Um, I see that you text me back. I, I'm, I'm online, so I'm not able to check them out. But anyway, um, yeah, we'll be back next week. Peace out.